0: Ordained to office, we call that. So office, why is it that we have offices? What are office bearers? What's the nature of their labor? It's fitting this afternoon to pay some attention to, to the place of office bearers in the structure of our church. One might say to hear the good news of Christ's gift to the church. Because the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul indicate that the church receives gifts from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the passage of Ephesians that we read. And those gifts consist among others of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Four different types of people that are office bearers. And our text makes clear then that these office bearers are a gift to the congregation. So boys and girls, if your dad is an elder or a Deacon, your dad is actually a present that the Lord Jesus has given to the church. Now, the fact that office bearers are a gift of Christ to the church alerts us immediately to the fact that the office in the church is not something that humans have invented. It's an institution of Christ. Christ. And that means the question for the sermon is a bit more loaded. It's not just, why are there office bearers? The question is, why does Christ give us office bearers? And the answer to that question is found in Ephesians 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints. That's the key phrase. For those who like heading out into the backcountry, the expression to fit out comes to mind. Office bearers are given to be outfitters. They are to equip the saints for God, of God for the work of ministry. For, as the NIV has it, works of service. And so we listen to God's word with this theme. Christ gives his congregation office bearers in order to equip them for ministry. And we'll consider the activity of office bearers. I'll first illustrate that. Then we'll look at the necessity of office bearers. And then finally at the office bearers, how it works together with the congregation. First, illustrated, And, and I've got two illustrations. One is more of a parable sort to paint a bit of a picture. And the other one is we'll have a look at how the church in Ephesus functioned back in the first century. For the parable illustration, I want you to think of a garden. We find that comparison in the Bible. For example, God speaks of Israel as his vineyard, or Jesus describes his father as the vine dresser, himself as the vine, and his followers as branches. We want to imagine, for our purposes, the church as a garden. And all the people in the church are plants. The office bearer in that picture would be the gardener. Now, what do you think of when I say a garden? Boys and girls, what are you thinking of? Maybe at your backyard at home or your front yard, which is probably a little neater than your backyard. Maybe it's some formal garden like Vendusen Gardens in Vancouver or what Minter Gardens used to be. Maybe it's a veggie patch, flower beds. Maybe it's small, just one bed. Or maybe it's like huge, like a park or a forest. If you think about it, provincial parks and national parks are actually kind of gardens as well because they're managed by rangers who um, make sure that the park looks neat. Or maybe you think of a mixture of these things. You think of Stepping Stones Bible Camp, where um, you get formal garden beds and informal garden beds, and you've got the swamp, which has got the little path through it, and it's kind of maintained, and then there's the mountainside. Not every garden is the same. And the reason for that is not every gardener is the same. You might say there's a spectrum of gardens. Let's just go to the ends of the spectrum for a moment. I'll put garden number one at the one spectrum. It's an extremely formal garden. It doesn't have much to it, actually. It's it's a front yard of a house that's just been built. The front yard's paved. And then we put some planters there and dump some potting soil in there and go to the store, buy some violets and every night, the gardener will come outside and, and admire his violets and pick out every minuscule weed and, and of course, water it because planters, they dry out like, like crazy. Number one, that's a planter on stone pavement. Garden number two is the other end of the spectrum. It, it's very, very opposite. It's a garden that's been allowed to go wild. There's dandelions and buttercups and moss in the lawn. Horsetails hills that are poking their way through the flower beds, maybe even some reeds. Ivy and blackberry and, and morning glory all through the cedar hedge. And the owner of that garden figures it's all quite fine. He says it's got to be natural. It, it's got to do its own thing. Garden number two at the other end of the spectrum, that's a garden gone wild. And there's big differences between those two gardens, of course. The planter on the pavement and the garden gone wild. The first one looks beautiful, but somehow it's artificial. And, and if the gardener wasn't there constantly adding in water and, and everything, it'd die. The other one looks ugly lots of green weeds, not many flowers, or lots of life there. And it is real, but, but in the end, it's actually not very productive. And then the third garden, that'll be the one in between. It's a rehabilitated piece of land, maybe a quarry converted back to a forest, um, or or, um, maybe even converted into a botanical garden of some sort. In that type of garden, you, you find both beauty and life. On the one hand, the gardeners allow the plants to do their own thing, but on the other hand, they make sure that there's balance, that the blackberries don't take over, that the waterways are still clear. Beauty, vigor, and production. Now, an illustration like that can be very nice. And, and maybe you've already been doing this thing in your mind where you're going, okay, and the garden is a church, so what is a a sterile church look like? And what does a gone-wild church look like? And what does the church in the middle look like? Maybe you've even got names to go with these churches. But you've got to ask yourself the question, does a picture like that ring true to how the church should function? After all, office bearers in the church are a gift of Christ. They're not something that we're inventing. And what I describe about a garden could be said about a school, could be said about a company, could even be said about a family. And this is where Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, become instructive. Verse 11 lists the number of office bearers given by Christ to the congregation, and verse 12 then tells us that he gives them in order that the saints, that's the word for holy people, people devoted to God, might be equipped, might be fitted out for the work of ministry, For the work of service, and that equipping, that preparing, that fitting out by office bearers, that does indeed go well with the image of an office bearer as a gardener in a garden or a ranger in a nature park. The analogy is quite proper, and it is quite helpful. And we'll see that especially as we now transition to having a look at the church of Ephesus. What was that church like back in the first century that made Paul write the things he did? The wonderful thing about the church of Ephesus is that we know a lot about it. And that's because information about this church is actually found in four different places in the New Testament. The first one is where our text comes from, the letter to the Ephesians. The second source is the book of Acts. We read, for example, the address of Paul to the elders at Ephesus. The third place is the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Because the first of the seven letters to the churches is written to the church of Ephesus. So what you've got there is actually what you might call in today's terms a church visitation report by the Lord Jesus Christ of the church in Ephesus. And then the fourth place, those are the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy with instructions, among others, on how to appoint office bearers. You see, Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. And when we combine all those four sources about church life in Ephesus, especially as it relates to office bearers, we learn the following. You've got to imagine or you've got to realize that Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a city of clout. Paul had spent much time there. Acts 20, we read how he'd spent three years there. There'd be much resistance to the gospel from society in general. There'd also been trouble with office bearers. There had been some point in time where Timothy had to be given very clear instructions on what type of people could be appointed to office and what type of people should not. We read Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. And he pointed the elders to their great responsibility. They'd been appointed as shepherds of a flock, bought with the precious blood of Christ and he said, Paul said, you've got to take good care of yourselves, you've got to take good care of the flock, because there are going to be wolves coming in from the outside. But even from in your own midst, there are going to be people, there are going to be office bearers that will act like wolves devouring the sheep. And then years, maybe decades later, the Lord Jesus Christ has the Apostle John write an evaluation of church life in Ephesus. He sends a word of encouragement and admonition. And what's worth noting from that letter in Revelation is that Ephesus was painted as originally a church known for its first love. It had zeal, it had fervor in remaining faithful to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It had been a model church. This is the kind of church you wanted to be, with active office bearers doing much good work. But then that letter, you find it in Revelation 3. Uh, Revelation 2, and then in that letter, Christ reprimands the church because it's lost its first love. Ephesus had become an example of a church which is all about process and no longer about relationships. It was a church that was perfect in doctrine, and and Jesus has nothing bad to say about that. It's, It's a good thing to be perfect in doctrine. But he says, you've lost your first love. And Christ reprimands Ephesus for that. As to our text, it's when Ephesus was this model church, where everything was going well, that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, probably a year or two after that address we read in Acts 20. And Paul considered it necessary to write to Ephesus because an issue had popped up in the congregation. And it was threatening to divide the church. Actually, it wasn't threatening to divide the church. That was the very issue, division in the church. There were basically two types of Christians in Ephesus. Jewish ones and Gentile ones. And when you read, for example, Ephesians chapter 2, you get the impression that those two were not getting on very well. And then in Ephesians 4, where we began our second reading, we see this very heavy emphasis on harmony and unity and peace. The church is one, Paul wrote, because God is one, Christ is one, the Holy Spirit is one. On the other hand, Paul is a realist. He says, but unity doesn't mean uniformity. Everybody in the church receives their own gifts. And he says, and then there's this other gift of Christ, a gift to the church as a whole, and that's office bearers. So Ephesus was an established congregation with capable and experienced office bearers, both elders and deacons, given what we read in 1 Timothy, a living church that was full of zeal and full of love. Compared to a garden that had been well fertilized, well watered, that is well taken care of, everything is growing. But the gardener is going to watch out now. Because some plants are more vigorous than other plants. And the more vigorous ones will drown out the less vigorous ones. And so Ephesus needed office bearers to maintain balance. To maintain that bond of peace that existed in the spirit. The body of Christ, says Paul, is to be built up. Not to be torn down. And it is built up by ministry ministry That's not just the ministry of caring for the poor. It includes all manner of service. If you'll allow me some anachronisms, it, it includes accompanying the singing during the worship services. It, it means leading the youth, um, it, being on a kitchen committee or a library committee, taking care of the building. is all in order for, say, worship services, um, providing food for homeless people, Um, volunteering for VBS. And it's the office bearers who equip the saints of God for that work. minister, elders, and deacons create an environment in which that happens. And so the office bearers are a vital link in the life of the church. In verse 16, Paul actually compares them to joints, the things that hold the body together. And so bringing the two illustrations that we've seen together, office bearers are like park gardeners, making sure that plants in the park grow well, that they're full of life, that they're productive, so that the park is truly a park that can be enjoyed. Office bearers are to make sure that the church is built up by equipping the saints to be active in service. And that tells us a church cannot be without office bearers, which brings us to our second thought. Office bearers are necessary. Now, that they're necessary, I don't think requires proving. The the very fact that they're Christ's gift to the church indicates that they are necessary. You can't have a church without office bearers because Christ gives the office bearers to the church. And the church, the very word church, says that it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. But more can be said about the necessity of office bearers. It relates to their task. Verse 12 says that they're to equip, to prepare, to fit out the saints, or outfit the saints, the people of God. And that suggests that the works of service that require doing are not to be done by office bearers, but by the people. Here's a takeaway for everyone, also the youngest among us, boys and girls. Strawberries do not grow on gardeners. Strawberries grow on strawberry plants. Right. Likewise, it's the people of God that do the work of ministry. You don't leave it to the office bearers. For the purpose of it all is that the saints do the work of ministry. And note that the word work is in the singular. It indicates the whole set of work that is being done. It's not specific tasks, but everything together. And the word at the back of ministry is diakonos which can be translated with service. It's where we get our word deacon from. Saints are equipped for the work of ministry. They have to excel in serving. At bottom, the task of humans is to serve each other, is to help each other, is to care about each other, to care for each other, to love each other, be loyal to each other. And that's expressed through acts of service. Christians, you might say, are a hand and a foot for each other. But that ministry of service is itself not the goal yet. We learn from verse 12 that this service, this ministry, has its own purpose. The purpose of the works of ministry is that the body of Christ may be built up. There's another image. Body of Christ. Boys and girls, what, do you, what is the body of Christ? Christ. Well, the body of, the, of Christ, that, that is the church. The church is to be built up. And in verse 16, it's made clear that the body is to be built up in love. The church of God, as a garden of God, is to grow in beauty, in maturity, and in size. The church growth will be numerical, like through outreach, like through new generations in the covenant. It it means growing in the battle against sin, and growing in holiness. It means growing in knowledge, in in appreciating what it means to be in Christ, to be forgiven, to be renewed. It it grows in love. Love for God, love, love for fellow saints, love for all people in seeking their salvation, love for all creation. Office bearers are necessary to equip God's people for the work that needs doing by God's people in the church so that the church may flourish. And Paul gives us a bit more to think about. So far I've been speaking about office bearers in general in our day and age, we'll, we'll immediately think, okay, that's the minister, the pastor, and that's the elders and the deacons. But those are not in Paul's list. He talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherd teachers. Apostles were eyewitnesses to the work of Christ. I Men who could tell the gospel of, of, of Christ firsthand. They were those who were sent out with the gospel. And for us today, the apostles, that scripture. Because in Scripture, we find the account of the apostles. Prophets were people whom the Holy Spirit used to bring direct messages to the church of God. They were still needed at this time, the first century, because the written record of the apostles did not yet exist. And so the prophets worked alongside the apostles. Evangelists were the people who, under the oversight of the apostles, would bring the gospel, mainly to outsiders. And shepherd teachers were individuals who served in the midst of the congregation. And do realize that the expression shepherd and teacher in the original Greek is a single phrase? That's why the ESV footnote also has shepherd-teachers. Our Belgian Confession catches that with pastor and teacher. And it points to the two sides to the task of an office bearer. He would shepherd the people, provide pastoral guidance, and he would teach the people, instruct them in knowledge and truth. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, when we think about that list, well, it's not hard to see, okay, there's a minister in there because that's a shepherd teacher and probably the evangelist. But what about elders and deacons? There are a lot of churches today which... Don't have elders, not at all. And deacons, yeah, they kind of do, but also not completely. Yet we can deduce from the letters to Timothy that it would have had, that Ephesus would have had elders and deacons. And we can make sense of that if we understand, and this is important for our Reformed understanding of church polity, if we understand the shepherd teacher, that's not just the minister, it's a general reference to all local office bearers. Elders and deacons, and we all know that, they're involved in pastoral work. Both have a calling to visit and care for those with needs. You'll notice that when we read the forum in a moment. Elders also qualify as shepherd teachers with the teaching aspect, because when you read through 1 Timothy 3, one of the tasks or one of the conditions, qualifications for an elder is the ability to teach. As to deacons... Well, if you look again at what the deacons are supposed to do in our way of organizing the church, they have a measure of teaching to do as well. They have to encourage generosity, and they may in situations have to teach scriptural principles of money management. So elders and deacons are also shepherd teachers. Now what's worth noting is that all these office bearers are given by Christ to equip the saints, and all of them do that, as messengers of the word of God. In the end, it's the word of God that ties all four together. The office bearers are not individuals who bring their own opinions and who stand between God and the people. That's the position of Christ. Christ is our mediator. No, the office bearer is a person who stands next to God's people who points and guides them in the right direction with the Word of God in hand. The the office-bearer is a teaching advisor, a wise advisor who speaks not with his own authority, bringing own opinions, but speaks with the authority of God's Word. And that brings us already into that last thought, the office-bearer and the congregation. Again, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. It's not the first time in the letter to the Ephesians that he uses that picture. Already in chapter 1, he spoke of Christ as the head of the church, which is his body. Christ is the head. Now, the head, your head, is very important for your body. So are other body parts, but you can usually manage through life without them, especially the external ones. Like, You can live with just one hand. You can't live without a head. And Now, think about what the head is to the body. The head is the place that takes everything in. You eat with your head. You see with your head. You smell with your head. You hear with your head. You breathe with your head. It all goes in through the head. And so Christ is the head. He is the source of everything that nourishes the body. The church is the body. So where do the office bearers fit into this? For that, we've got to go beyond our text to verse 16. There, Paul describes the office bearers as that which joins and holds the body together. Now, in the original Greek, we're not completely sure what Paul was thinking of when he wrote this. The the Greek word has very much the connotations of joining together. But some scholars say, well, he's talking about the blood system. Others say, no, it's ligaments. Others say, no, it's the nervous system we don't know. And we're also got to realize that Paul's understanding of how the body works is very different from how we understand today how the body works. You can't press the image as to being precise on the medical side. But what's clear, and the ESV does a very nice job of translating this, is that Paul is thinking about that which holds the body together, which provides the nourishment that comes in through the head and spreads it throughout the body. Everything that joins, that holds together, that feeds. And that's the function of the office bearers in the church. Earlier in Ephesians 4, Paul had exhorted the Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, that's what office bearers are to do. To keep it all together. To have the congregation together grow in maturity. And so function as a mature church in love. And again, it makes clear that we're not to leave things to the office bearers. It's not a case of, well, we've got to have a minister soon. He can take care of the outreach. Or we have deacons. They've got to take care of the poor people. Or we have elders. They can admonish that brother for drunkenness and that sister for gossiping. No, no. Strawberries grow on strawberry plants. Not on the gardeners. The gardener tends the garden so that the plants may flourish and produce the fruits. And so the office bearer equips the people of God so that they, the people of God, may do the work of ministry. And that's how the church is built up. Office bearers oversee the whole. They provide structure, order, guidance. They ensure peace, unity, harmony. But the congregation as a whole pulls together for the work. That said, images are great. For making a point but they tend to be have a downside to them because they're one-sided i said strawberries don't grow on gardeners they grow on the plants but we've got to realize that our office bearers are not just the gardeners our office bearers are also plants and so office bearers have to equip each other to do the work of ministry the office bearer is not clergy separated from laity No, the church is one. God calls all his people to the work of ministry. And the work of ministry, the serving that the office bearers do, is of joining everything together. And in that work of being leaders among God's people, office bearers have to set an example The apostolic injunction is often given to God's people to follow the example of your leaders. And the office bearers are exhorted to be an example to the flock. We'll read that in the forum in a moment. And as the office bearers lead by example, they also equip the saints to do their work well. And so Christ gives his congregation office bearers to equip them for their task. They're God's gift, Christ's gift to the church. God God doesn't leave the church alone like you've got to figure it out yourself. No, he encourages us. He has his staff on the ground. And so, brothers office bearers, you are called to do your work well. In all your activity as office bearers, Ask yourself, how is what I am doing right now equipping saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ is built up in love? And for us as congregation, it means that we are to receive the men who are ordained to office as a present that Christ is giving to us. Look to the office bearers to see the Christ. We're called to have respect for the office bearers, to pray for them so that they may do their task of equipping us all well and enable the office bearers then also to do their work so that there will be harmony and unity, peace, that the kingdom of Christ may be advanced. And that's how you as church bring glory to God's name. Amen.